0: Welcome to the Sustain UW podcast, a place for sustainability conversation, expert interviews, and news hosted by student interns from the UW-Madison Office of Sustainability. We want to know, what's up with sustainability and where should we go from here? Before we dive into today's episode, we want to remind you that the opinions expressed on this show do not reflect the views of the Office of Sustainability, the University of Wisconsin-Madison, or its Board of Regents. Now, let's get into today's show.
1: everyone and welcome to the Sustain UW podcast. My name is Rory and I'm joined by fellow co-host Bailey. Hello. Today we are talking with Alex Beld and Francisco Sayu from Renew Wisconsin about their work in promoting renewable energy and more specifically their involvement in the exciting EPA Clean Bus Program initiative. Welcome Alex and Francisco. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Can you share some insights about your backgrounds, your positions at Renew and the journey to your current roles?
2: Me first? Okay. Uh, Yeah, so I, uh, for about four months now, have been uh, the comms manager at Renew Wisconsin. Came from a background of both marketing and journalism. And uh, yeah, I feel like that fits really well in this role, because it's definitely less marketing, uh, more communication, and just general education, which fits really well with the journalism aspect. And I've just always had an, an appreciation for sustainability, the environment, things like that. So. This job just fit really well when I was looking for, for a new position. I'll kick it over to Francisco and then we can talk yeah. about Renew itself.
3: Yeah, well, thank you, Alex, and uh, thank you for having us. This is exciting. I am the Emerging Technology Director at Renew Wisconsin, where I support uh, beneficial electrification. So, basically, electrifying buildings and electrifying the transportation sector. And uh, Renew is a nonprofit organization. We have been around since 1991, supporting the transition to clean energy in the state of Wisconsin. We support all sorts of renewable energy and now electrification because it aligns well with this idea of running things on electricity so we can generate that electricity here in the state. So we're running, we're trying to run our state on local electricity so we don't have to send money outside of the state. Every year we, we send about 12 to 14 billion dollars out of the state's economy to purchase fossil fuels for transportation. Mostly uh, we can generate some of that energy in the state and keep those dollars here to support jobs and the economy. So that's kind of my role with, the, with Renew. I have a background in engineering. Before Renew, I, I used to work on energy efficiency. So most of my professional experience has been on the energy efficiency industry and buildings. But now I am supporting electrification, which is a pretty exciting aspect of the clean energy economy.
1: You mentioned that Renew started in 19... 91. 1991. How has it grown since its conception?
3: Ooh, oh, wow. a lot. Renew was, <laughs> Renew was a... One person shop for a while, and now there is what twelve, thirteen of
2: us. I think thirteen or fourteen. Actually. Thirteen
3: or fourteen. So we are we're we're thriving, uh, and this is the moment for that. You know, if you if you look at the the news, um, you see there is a lot of momentum for clean energy for many reasons. If you're in Wisconsin, for financial reasons, as I mentioned earlier. We have an energy economy that depends on imported fuels, and that's not good from the economic standpoint or from the energy security standpoint because we don't control our energy supply. You might say that we have a climate crisis and we need to solve it and the energy sector is is a key aspect of that. If you believe that public health and air pollution are important issues, uh, you know we, we have a transportation system that depends on mostly internal combustion engines that pollute the air, and the environment. So we have alternatives that can help us not do that. So, yeah, it's a lot of exciting things happening in the clean energy space.
4: How can people who are interested get involved with your organization?
2: Yeah, there's there's a few ways. Right now we've actually been kind of revamping our, our membership tiers uh, for business members, and we are, we're always taking individual members. So supporting us uh, helps us to support some of these initiatives that Francisco has already talking about. But there's always occasions where people can get involved. Uh, Like most recently with net metering and the rate cases from utilities, we were asking people to just submit public comments, just basically participation from the public in some of these events that directly impact things like uh, people's ability to uh, recoup financially from the solar panels that they put on their roofs uh, is huge. And we saw that that massive public support helped um, basically to show support to the Public Service Commission of Wisconsin that people want and need net metering so that they uh, can recoup uh, financially from the solar installations they put on their roofs. Um, but we maybe need to explain net metering.
3: Yeah, I was gonna say, you're talking about net metering, so what's net metering? <laughs>
2: Basically, in, in the most simple terms, when you have those panels on your roof and you create electricity, oftentimes you're gonna create more than you're using. Um, sometimes less, but when you're creating more, Uh, you're sending electricity back into the grid, and then it's getting used by your neighbors, and typically what happens then is the utilities pay you for that electricity that you're not using. The utilities were hoping to drastically change that and reduce the uh, financial impact of that for the people generating that energy. So by keeping it in place in its current form, it just continued to make solar panels a financially viable option for most people in the area.
0: Hmm.
3: So what you're saying is the utilities wanted to pay you less for the electricity that you sold to the grid? Yes. Oh, <laughs> I ah, love the what, honesty here. What's the point on that? <laughs> Profit. Oh, right.
4: For those graduating this spring, do you have any career or internship opportunities so students can get involved in helping your sustainability efforts?
3: Oh, definitely. Yeah, we we have a uh, internship interest form that lives on our website. So if anybody's interested, you you know just go to the website. Um, look for that inter- internship uh, interest form. And if you fill it out, somebody will reach out. We we usually have two interns throughout the year. And the, during the summer, we might have more because in the summer, we do more activities out in the community. So there is a big energy fair that takes place um, uh, near Stevens Point. That's kind of one of the big events we support. So it's nice to have students there that can just be on, at the table and just talk to people about the work that we do. We do some cool research. We develop tools. So, For example, last summer I had a brilliant intern that developed this spreadsheet to calculate refueling costs for electric school buses and compares them to diesel buses to estimate how much a school district can save by switching to electric school buses. So that was a pretty neat project, and she worked on that for a couple of months, and then now I'm using that when I go to talk to school districts and transportation contractors about switching, electrifying their fleets. So definitely opportunities. I highly recommend checking out Renew. It's a great organization. It will give you great exposure into especially the policy work related to, to, to clean energy. Because the thing is, you know, coming from an engineering background, we have a lot of tools that we can deploy to make things better. You know, my background in energy efficiency, we know how to make buildings efficient. To the point that we can make a building net zero. So at the end of the year, you look at the energy at the electricity, at the electricity that the building used and the electricity that it produced, and it's zero, right? We can do that. We know how to do it. We're not doing it more because it's hard to do, because the policies are hard, because um financially it can be hard, although it makes sense, but we really have to put a lot of work into creating a policy environment that allows these technologies to flourish, to come here, to happen. Like We could be benefiting from having more electric vehicles that don't burn imported fuels and that don't pollute the air. That's kind of hard to do that. So we need to continue creating a policy environment that encourages those things. So it's not like you have to fight a fight every time you want to do something good. It's like, no, you're actually encouraged to do something. So, yeah, a great opportunity for students to learn about the industry. And, you know, uh, you guys are going to have the opportunity to... um, Take the home, soon. so yeah, it will be good this pusher,
2: yeah, Julia also wrote a great blog on the health impacts of oh, yeah. uh, diesel buses, which just a a plug for that later when we get into it. I was shocked when she wrote it, and it you know was educational for me that there's no known safe exposure level to diesel fumes, so when Francisco's talking about things like pollution from you know these combustion engines that's that's a huge aspect of it, right? Kids get on these buses every day. And they're just breathing in something that there's no known safe level of exposure, which for context, like the EPA even considers PFAS to have a safe exposure level. And that's, you know, it's not a great chemical to ingest. So,
3: yeah, yeah, that's a great blog. Yeah, (laughs) I think it got more traction than anything I have written.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Um, I actually have a question for you, Alex. As yep. a communications person for the organization, what obstacles do you face, especially in a state like Wisconsin?
2: Uh, yeah, one of the biggest ones is just uh, misinformation. We encounter that a lot, um, and the the two biggest areas generally are solar and wind. Uh, you know, uh, we've even heard the president of our country say that windmills cause cancer, which has found to not be true and there's a lot of concerns about the sounds from wind farms when in reality most the most of the sound you get is a, about as loud if not less than the sound your refrigerator makes in your home so some of those concerns just aren't aren't founded but they perpetuate and it takes a lot of effort to convince people otherwise especially when they've been hearing it for years
1: So, Francisco, you mentioned the diesel buses versus electric buses, which kind of brings us to the core of our episode today, which is talking about the EPA Clean Bus Program Initiative. Would you be able to expand on what that is?
3: Oh, yeah. Uh, Our favorite uh, (laughs) electric vehicle program. So I personally think that electric school buses are like the best use case for electric vehicles because buses are pretty cool. You're able to transport a lot of people in one vehicle, so you save a lot of emissions that way. But if you think about the number of buses that we are running in the country every day, something like 25 million kids take the school bus every day. And these buses run on on diesel, diesel fuel, that it's not good for health. It's just, like Alice said earlier, there's no known safe exposure to diesel. The funny thing is like, some people like the smell of diesel. I think like you kind of, if you grow up with it, it's kind of like- Nostalgia. <laughs> yeah, Right, right. Uh, it's not good for you, but some people feel connected to, you know, that that, that smell brings some memories. But anyway, electric buses are like the best case, use case for electric vehicles. We want to transition to electric vehicles for a lot of reasons. Pollution is one of them. Uh, economics is the other one. So electric vehicles are way more efficient than internal combustion vehicles. So if you think about the efficiency of a, of a gasoline engine, uh, it's about 20%. So for every dollar you put on fuel in a gasoline car, you're only getting about 20 cents worth of movement. About 20% of, that, of the energy in that gallon of gasoline actually makes it to that axle that turns that wheel and takes you from one point to the next. 80% of that fuel is, uh, is lost. Electric motors are way more efficient than that. You know, we're thinking 90% efficient. So every, you know, you spend a dollar in electricity that you put in your electric vehicle and you're getting 90 cents worth on the stuff that you actually want, which is to go from one place to the other. We do a lot of work to educate communities and to create policies that support electric vehicles because they're good for the environment, because they're good for for the economy, especially in a state like Wisconsin where we don't produce any petroleum products. Every time we purchase diesel fuel, gasoline, we're sending money out of the state. So we do a lot of work to educate people to say, you know, we need to transition. It's good to transition. But one of the barriers that we find is that if we convince somebody to transition, then we have to figure out how we pay for that conversion because electric vehicles are expensive, right? I mean, they're coming down in price, but they're expensive. It's not easy to just go to a dealership and get an EV. It's, it's still expensive. So the Clean School Bus Program is like this wonderful thing that the EPA created through the bipartisan infrastructure law where... If you're interested in buying an electric bus, the EPA will pay for it.
1: <laughs> there you
3: go. <laughs> yeah. So basically the program, it's a its a $5 billion program. It's a five-year program, so about a $1 billion invested in electric buses. Well, it's clean buses, so it's electric, propane, and compressed natural gas. Most of the funding is for electric, and a portion of that can be used for propane or can be used for compressed natural gas. The thing about Wisconsin is that we we don't produce gas here. So we don't see a lot of benefit transitioning from one imported fuel to another imported fuel, even even if that second imported fuel is marginally cleaner than diesel fuel. It's still a fossil fuel. It's an imported fuel. It generates emissions that affects people's health. We have an alternative that don't produce emissions that can be generated locally and that can be paid by the EPA. So... Let's just go from diesel to electric. So basically the program works uh, every year. It's a billion dollar available that you can get through grants. So competitive grants where you compete against other school districts or transportation contractors. And there is a round of rebate, which is a lottery. And the rebate is super easy. You apply and if you get selected by the computer, basically you get a bus. And, you know, these buses are right now running around $375,000 dollars. You get $345,000 from the EPA, but there is a $40,000 tax credit. So with the tax credit, you are about $385,000, which in most cases pays for 100% of the bus. Now, the program prioritizes low-income and rural school districts. So rural and low-income school districts get that full $345,000. Districts that are not in that priority list, they get about half of that funding. They get $200,000. Which is enough to pay for a bus if the school is planning to replace a diesel bus anyway, because that two hundred thousand dollars will pay for the difference between getting a new diesel bus and getting an electric school bus. Plus, they have those savings. So you know we're we're seeing school districts estimate they will be saving ten to fifteen thousand dollars a year in uh, diesel fuel that they won't be using. So you know it's it's kind of a win-win.
2: Yeah, and that doesn't include you know. Transmission fluid getting swapped out or oil changes, things like that. So there's additional uh, savings just in terms of the maintenance. Um, Yeah. And we're seeing also a really cool thing coming out of
3: this. School districts that are creating agreements with the utility to sell electricity from their batteries back to the utility. So now these batteries become like a resiliency unit that's sitting at the school. And in a summer day, when it's really hot and the utility is struggling to figure out where to get power, they just plug those buses, and then they get those electrons back to the grid, and everybody's happy, and the school makes money. Vehicle to grid.
1: There you go.
3: There
2: you go.
1: Have you, has there been school districts that have gotten involved? Yeah,
2: we actually, uh, we visited a school in Palmyra. Um, what was that, October 25th? Yeah. And they're the they're the first to receive their buses from the program in the state, and uh, we got to ride on the buses for the day. They were, it's, it's amazing how quiet they are. For the whole event, there were speeches going on, and Um, they had the buses on and you couldn't even hear them ten feet behind the people uh, doing the talking so normally if you had two diesel engines running right behind somebody all you're gonna hear is the rumble of that engine so that's another aspect of it too is um, I don't think anyone appreciates loud engine noise rolling through their (laughs) quiet neighborhood so it's it's not just an emissions pollution standpoint that we're that we're we're looking at but uh, sound pollution uh, you know, I think it's kind of nice to not be woken up an hour before I plan to by a, a loud engine rolling past my house. Um, and the birds appreciate it, too. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, so kind of big picture what happened last year because we're in year two of the program. So the rebates are open now through January 31st. So, you know, if you're a school district or a transportation contractor, apply now. Apply now. Apply now. <laughs> so last year in 2022, we got 65 buses awarded to the state. So $25 million worth in electric buses. then Free buses to the state. Whoa. So 15 school districts in Wisconsin, actually, they, they, they were selected. And they got anywhere from 1 to 12 electric school buses. 12 electric school buses, that's over $4 million. Free buses. So, yeah, it's like, you know, people say there's no free lunch. Well, there's no free lunch, but there are free buses, right? <laughs> <laughs> we're working with districts and transportation contractors to have another good year. So to have another good rounds of applications. Just to kind of give us a sense of where we are at, because you know we were super fortunate. We beat Minnesota. I think Minnesota got four (laughs) bosses. Okay. But you know what? Michigan got 150.
1: Wow. So,
3: (laughs) so yeah, we got we got work to do.
1: Something that sticks out to me about this program is you're bringing renewable energy to public schools, and public schools, you know, historically suffer from a lack of critical resources. So I was wondering, is there an educational aspect to this program to kind of help educate the students who are going to be on these buses, the faculty at the schools, about renewable energy and sustainability?
2: Yeah, certainly. Um, that was even actually discussed by a few students at the Paul Meyer event we were at. It's a it's a great opportunity for kids to learn about engineering the sciences, renewable energy, uh, just being exposed to that on a daily basis. Um, you know, whether it's in the classroom or just on the bus ride in. If that's a, a constant thing that's around you want it normalizes it which really at this point um, with how much solar wind, things like that that we're producing in this state um, it's it's time to kind of move away from calling it an alternative energy source um, but yeah when it's when it's just more apparent for students it's it's easier to show them real-world examples of how the science works
3: yeah it's, it's the future right it's like I don't know, like imagine if you went to your school and they had rotary phones there, like, you know, <laughs> you wouldn't do that. Like everybody has a screen today. I mean, this is the same thing. One of my favorite case studies is a, a school district in Illinois, uh, Williamsville, Illinois. They're pretty amazing. Uh, they are transitioning their entire fleet of buses, of nine buses, to electric through the Clean School Bus Program. Like they, they applied, they got the awards, and they replaced nine buses. From diesel to electric. They're keeping one diesel bus for very long trips. Like if they have to go to an event that's a very long distance, they're keeping one diesel bus because electric buses, um, they have a limited range. So you have to you charge them and you can only go so far before you have to charge them again. And right now we're talking about, depending on how much you want to spend, 100 to 150 miles. And um, they install solar panels. They have a solar array installed in their facility. And because they, have solar they can estimate how much electricity they're going to produce for the next 15 years so they have a power purchase agreement with a company where they pay two and a half cents per kilowatt hour that's their cost of electricity for the next 15 years can you tell me anything that you know how much you're going to be paying for the exact amount for the next 15 years no (laughs) <laughs> you know, uh, how much do you pay for electricity at home here? I have no idea. I pay 15 cents.
4: Yeah, I think it's 10 cents.
3: Yeah, they are paying two and a half. So they're really, really saving a lot of money running these school buses, these electric school buses. So, yeah, they're like the perfect scenario. And I think that that is kind of the goal. Uh, that's, that, that should be the goal for every school district in, in the state, for every school district in the nation. You know, we have a solar resource that's available. We have these buses with batteries. We can charge them from the sun. We can make that electricity available in case of an emergency. So add resiliency to the community, uh, bring some revenue to the school district. And we're all happy.
1: It's truly groundbreaking.
3: Yeah, it's not that hard though. It's not that difficult. The technology, the engineering is very simple actually. We just need a regulatory environment that allows that. The technology is uh, it's not rocket science.
2: I mean, honestly, when you look under the hood, it looks way more simple than an engine. It's a battery and a motor and some, some wires. It's a very big go-kart.
1: <laughs> you know, it's
2: like a golf cart that carries
3: 77 students. And it's safer than a golf cart. But, yeah, it's it's just like that.
4: With the implementation of more electric school buses, do you think we're going to have to implement more infrastructure for the charging facilities?
3: Definitely. So the, the Clean School Bus Program pays for some of the charging infrastructure, anything after the meter. So... The program won't pay for utility upgrades if, they, if for example, the buses are kept at a depot or a bus barn, depending on where you are. Some people know it's a bus barn. Um, if the bus barn or the depot does not have enough power to support the chargers, the school district has to work with their utility to figure out how to pay for that investment. Every utility is different. Some utilities are making the investment and not charging the district right away, and they will recover that cost through fees over a period of years. They'll say, you know, we'll make the investment and we will just charge you a small fee every year and then, you know, over 15 years or whatever, you will pay for that infrastructure. Other utilities have pilot programs where they actually cover the cost because this is a new source of revenue for the utility, right? It's like building a new store because you're going to be selling something that you produce, electricity in this case. Some districts have to pay for the infrastructure themselves because the utility don't have any programs. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, every case is different. And, and because of that reason, a new requirement for the rebate this year is that the district talks to the utility before they apply. Last year, we saw some districts that because the application was so simple and, you know, it's a free bus. There's nothing wrong with the free bus. They apply. Hey, let's get a free bus. And they got selected. And then they went to talk to the utility, and the utility told them, you know, we need to upgrade your service. You need a transformer, and that's going to cost you $10,000. And we had a case of a school district in Wisconsin that actually turned down $395,000 because they couldn't afford the utility upgrade. So they said, we don't want $395,000 because we're required to spend a few thousand dollars, and we just don't. You told us it was free. And $10,000 or $20,000 is now free, which is fair. But it's also a shame because this school district could have recovered that expense or that investment in probably a year running the electric school bus. But it's part of the education we have to make here. At the larger scale, yeah, with the transition to electric vehicles, we're going to have to upgrade our grid. I mean, our grid has been failing. It's not going to be as difficult as some people might make you think because it's it's a combination of adding stuff to the grid and modifying our behavior so that we can do more with what we already have. Electricity sales are highly variable, right? It's like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, in the summer day, everybody has their air conditioning on and, you know, everything is running. So demand for electricity is very, very high. You don't want to plug an EV at 4 p.m. on a summer day. Nobody wants to do that because the worst thing you can do, you're going to be adding load to a system that's already overloaded. But then at midnight, and pretty much every every night, everybody's sleeping, nobody's using any electricity, that's when you have to charge your EV. Because that electricity is there, it's abundant, and it's cheap. So we do have a lot of electricity resource that's available. We have to do a lot of work and education to make sure that we're optimizing that. So we're using it, we're charging when it's convenient, when it's good for the grid, and we're using it when it's
2: necessary. Something uh, that might not be apparent to everyone. And it, it was in there, but someone might have missed it. But you pay different amounts of cents per, per kilowatt or kilowatt hour, mm-hmm. depending on the time of day. It, um, if, if, you are, if you're on a time of use rate, usually
3: yeah. residential customers, unless you opt into a time of use rate, you pay the same.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But for school districts? Then- oh, yeah. Commercial customers, yeah, they have different rates. So that's, that's something that I didn't know before I started with Renew. I, I was just like, it's the same no matter what time I'm, I'm using it. No. And if you're a commercial customer, you have a demand charge. And demand charges
3: are very interesting because they are, it's like a penalty. So, oh, how much time do we have? <laughs> this is interesting. <laughs> now, basically, imagine like electricity coming through a, a wire to your business. It's like, imagine the wire is a pipe, Right. And you can fill up a bottle of liquid, regardless of the size of the pipe. If it's a big pipe, it's going to fill up really quick. If it's a small pipe, it's just going to take a long time. But at the end of the day, you're going to end up with a full container. So electricity load is kind of the same way. So if you ask your utility for a lot of power at one time, like you have this big piece of equipment or this bus with this big battery and you want to charge it fast, like I want my battery to charge in one hour, the utility would do that. But in order to do that, it will have to send a lot of power your way at one time. It will need a big pipe. Conversely, if you want to charge your battery slowly, the utility doesn't have to send you all that much power because they just use that little pipe. And they send you that little amount of electricity and you just take your time and fill it up. If you request, if you ask the utility to, do, to charge fast, if you request that huge amount of power, they have to have the infrastructure that supports that amount of power. Meaning they have to put big cables there. They have to put a big transformer. They have to build up your facility to be able to handle that. And because that stuff is expensive, they're going to charge you a fixed cost. For some utilities in Wisconsin, it's about $13 a kilowatt. So you use one kilowatt, it's $13. If you use 100, just multiply that. If you would use 1,000, multiply that. And they charge you that for the whole year, even if you use it once a year. So it's a penalty, basically. So every month after you use it, I think the period is like 15 minutes. So if you use it for 15 minutes, every month from then on for the next year, you're going to have to pay that charge because the utility is charging you for the fact that they have to make that available to you. So, yeah, demand charges are complicated.
1: Something I'm wondering about is from your perspective, you mentioned this earlier, but kind of having to navigate the bureaucratic process and the obstacles within that. Did you face any challenges when trying to implement this
2: program? That I'm going to say not so much. Uh, From from our standpoint, um, where we're coming from is mostly, you know, this this program already exists, the government created it, and we're helping them to promote it and get Mm -hmm. um, people who can apply to apply, basically. So the biggest challenge is just there, is convincing people to make the transition, apply, uh, try it out. Um, and in many cases, we're, we're finding pretty good success when we're able to sit down and, and talk to folks. And I think one aspect that's very comforting is you get to keep your diesel bus for a year while you're trying out the electric bus. And if it doesn't work out for you, you can, you can keep your diesel bus. Um, obviously, we want the electric bus to work for folks. It's part of why we have the calculator that was built by our, our genius intern. And you you can usually see just by using that, that you're going to be able to successfully use the bus for almost everything you're doing at the district. Um, Yeah.
3: Yeah. So from the legislative standpoint, not so much of a barrier, but a lack of a carrot, I would say, that we're facing here in Wisconsin. So as I mentioned earlier, if you're not a priority district, so if you're not a poor district or a rural district, you only get about half of the funding to pay for the bus. Meaning you're still in the hook for a lot of money which is a barrier for some districts that they just don't have that money. Because of that, states all over the nation, at least in the Midwest, Illinois, Michigan, Iowa, Ohio, I mean, every state really around us, have allocated state funds to supplement federal funding. So those schools that are not able to get full funding from the federal government can tap into a state government to supplement their funding so they can buy the electric buses. Wisconsin has not done that, which puts the state in kind of a bad situation in terms of competing for federal funding because half of the EPA funding comes through grants. And one of the things that help those grants be competitive is having matching funds to be able to tell tell the EPA, hey, we only want 50 percent of the money because we have the other 50 percent. That makes your application more attractive, more competitive than the application coming from a state where you're saying, like, we don't have any money. So we need you to give us all the money, otherwise we can't do this. That's us right now. Michigan has $115 million of state funds that have been allocated to supplement federal funds. Illinois has 37 million that have been allocated to supplement federal funds. Wisconsin has zero. Not because we don't have the money, because we do actually. We have $10 million sitting somewhere that are about to expire if we don't use it and we could make that money available for school districts to help them pay for school buses and to help them pay for charging infrastructure. Remember the story I told you about that school district that said we don't want $395,000 to buy that bus because we can afford to spend $10,000? I mean, we could have helped that school district out and say, hey, you know what, get your transformer and get your brand new bus and, you know, go out and do a good thing and be happy. So we do have $10 million from the Volkswagen Settlement Fund uh, that are sitting somewhere in the state. And we will love if our legislators, (laughs) we will love it if our legislators put that money towards supporting electric school buses. Every other state is doing it. And I don't think they're all crazy. I mean, they're doing it because it makes sense. We should do the same thing in Wisconsin.
4: I mean, being given that fact, you guys are, like, extremely successful in your efforts so far then, being able to implement 15 with no extra funding from the government.
3: Right, but those are all priority districts, so they got full funding. But the issue is this year, the EPA split the funding into priority and non-priority, so 60% of the money is going to be awarded to priority districts. They will be able to purchase 100% of, pay 100% of the bus from the award. 40% 40% of the funding is for non priority districts. So we're going to have a school district in Wisconsin that will be awarded a rebate, $200,000 from the EPA. Say, hey, here, $200,000, go buy your bus. They're going to go to the dealer and say, hey, we have $200,000 for a bus. And the dealer is going to say, well, it's three hundred and fifty. dollars You need $150K. It's like, where do we find $150K? Right? It's, it, it's, it's at the capital. right so this summer there was a grand round of funding going on and a lot of the large school transportation contractors that are like nationwide like they operate buses in different states they apply for those there is one operator that serves a school district in Dane county and they apply they put a grant application a regional grant application that's going to serve illinois wisconsin michigan i believe and I asked how many buses they have requested for the school district in Dane County. And they said five out of a 100. I was like, what's five buses? This is a very large school district. They say, well, if we send the buses to Illinois, the state help us pay for them. If we send the buses to Michigan, the state help us pay for them. Because the APA is going to pay as little as they can, right? Probably half of it. The state of Illinois is going to pay for the other half. The state of Michigan is going to pay for the other half. If they bring them to Wisconsin, do you know who's going to be paying for that half?
1: Not the state.
3: <laughs> the contractor, and they don't want to do that. Back to economics.
1: <laughs> I guess then my next question would be, is there something Renew is doing to help try to get some of that $10 million?
2: We are having conversations with legislators. We did an event. Yeah, back in September, we did an event just outside of the Capitol where we actually, uh, by the way, thank you, Line Electric, for bringing a bus all the way from Illinois for us. Um, So we had a bus just off the square, and we had legislators tour it, and uh, Francisco and our uh, lovely government affairs director, Beata, she was there with us, too, talking to legislators. And there were tons of conversations about, you know, does the bus work? Well, clearly it does. We drove it here. (laughs) You know, those conversations about range anxiety, um, which Francisco is great about, uh, talking about those. But then, yeah, there were opportunities to then bring up that funding and talk about how You know, maybe in your district, there are school districts that could benefit from this, but they need a little bit of help financially to get there. So we're advocating, we're talking to them, we're we're showing them the product and proving that it works. And we're we're seeing where that goes. Amazing. And we're printing little maps saying shame on
3: us (laughs) because we don't have any money for electric school buses.
1: (laughs)
4: Obviously, this is like a really big initiative and really important. How can students, Specifically at UW, use their voices to pressure these officials.
3: Find out who your legislator is and write your legislator. Let them know
2: that you are interested in in this. Um, if you have friends and family in the state too, encourage them to do the same. You know, obviously, uh, many of the students, if their residence is here in Madison, that's going to limit the number of legislators that you know whose district they reside in. But many students, I'm sure, have family who live in more rural communities that would um, benefit from this. So, if you can get parents, friends that are still back home, or whoever siblings, um, to make those calls or send emails, that would be that would be huge.
3: Yeah, we're here to support. Like, if they, if, you know, students wants to reach out to us, like, hey, we want to get involved. Um, you know, let us know because we can we can mobilize.
1: Perfect. So to kind of close out our conversation. When you think of renewable energy in Wisconsin, what do you expect it to look like in the future
4: hmm.
2: i I expect to see a good mix of you know right now we're seeing a lot of investment in large scale utility solar. We're starting to see some more investment in wind we've been we've been catching up in that category um, as long as we still have things like net metering around or something that very closely resembles it, I expect to see a uh, wide range of these large scale uh installations and a lot of uh distributed generation so that would be you know just a home with a solar panel on it mm-hmm. and i think that good mix is what the future looks like it's, it's it's actually a pretty simple formula um yeah
3: i'm an energy nerd so i'm checking <laughs> i got i have the i have the myso up and the kaiso up on my phone. So, MISO is the Mid Continent uh, Independent System Operator. So, the US has about four electric grids. So, there is one that goes from Ontario, Canada, all the way down to Louisiana. It's about two statewide. So, Wisconsin is there. It's like Ontario, Canada, Missis, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin. So, we're all connected basically. We're all, our electricity, the electricity that we receive here in Wisconsin, is kind of shared with. You know, people all the way up in Ontario, all the way down to Louisiana. And the operator um, has an app that shows you where the electricity is coming from. And I have the app and I look at it from time to time. And my phone's like, okay, let's see what's happening. You know, how much electricity are we using right now? How much electricity are we producing right now? And how much is it coming from what source? So right now we have about eh, 30% coming from coal, 30% coming from natural gas, about 12% coming from nuclear, about 17% coming from wind. That's good. 17% wind, no bad. Solar is about 1.8%, so it's very low. That's Mysore, right? We, we're here in kind of Midwest all the way down to uh, Louisiana. The other app I have is the CAISO app, which is the California grid. Mm-hmm. So this is California, just California. So if you look at California, 72% of their load is served by renewables. Right now, at this moment, 72%.
4: That's
3: insane. That's insane, isn't it? That doesn't mean that it's 72% overall, because, you know, right now the sun is shining and they're charging batteries. So at night, they will be discharging some of that battery. So it's actually not that different because they could match that renewable generation with some of the battery that they have charged during this time. 72%. So that's kind of the dream, right? And I mean, they still have a way to go because we could be 100%. So the dream is 100% but we have a long way to go. So if you're ever bored <laughs> and looking for something fun to do, just download the MISO app and the KISO app and you can, you can see where the electricity comes from. Every moment is in real time. It's like changing right like, in front of my eyes.
1: I never knew about that. <laughs> <either>. It's awesome. <laughs> it's
2: so cool. <laughs> While we're on the topic of MISO in the future, that's the other thing that we do need uh, as, as we continue to build out these large-scale projects of, of renewables is being able to transmit that or send that energy from place to place and um you know wisconsin is actually in the midst of that right now we just had a line go from basically the madison area and correct me if i'm wrong with any of this francisco but basically the madison area all the way to the mississippi and i think it still needs to connect over into iowa uh that way when you know they have they're known for having all these wind farms when they're producing a ton of wind energy beyond what they need they'll be able to send it over to us um, so that's another part of that future is it's not just what we produce here, but it's it's how we interact with other states and send that energy places to make sure it's where it's needed.
3: Yeah, transmission is a it's a controversial subject, but we need transmission because um, there are places where we have really good wind resource and not a lot of people living there, which is probably a good thing. But we need that electricity in places where people are living. So we should be able to transfer those electrons. And the only way to do it is through transmission transmission lines so i think it's something that we can do responsibly it's something that we can do uh, collaboratively with people like you know just making sure that people have an input have a say but the clean energy transition won't be complete without transmission so we need to we need to work on that
1: i feel like that's a part of the conversation that i sometimes don't think about is the transmission and working together to kind of help make sure that everyone has the energy that they need right For our final question, this is something we talk often about in the office. That's the concept of sustaining the sustainers, because the work within the sustainability field can be a lot of trying to get people to listen that may not be open to it, kind of knocking on closed doors. Um, So something I'm wondering is what fuels you both to do this work? What drives you to do this work that can be quite challenging and difficult at times?
2: Oh, Francisco, you got to take this first. You're just... (laughs) ever positive you always got a smile oh oh i don't know i it's, it's a really good question
3: i i don't know if i have an alternative like i was talking to somebody last week about you know kind of like a career path and i was saying that every time i have to make a career choice that got me closer to my purpose to living in integrity i have to take a pay cut you know, and, and it was fine because at the end of the day, it's like I still have a good life and you know, all those things. But it was kind of like, OK, I want to do this because it's, it feels like the right thing and I'm going to make less money, uh, even though I have more experience and I'm older and all these things. But but I think that to me is a good indicator. or That is a good indicator of the fact that, you know, at some point in your life, you just kind of want to live your life the way you want to live your life. You want to feel proud of the work you do. You want to be able to sleep at night. I have little kids. And I have been fortunate to enjoy living in a, in a, in a planet that has supported my lifestyle. And I want my kids to have the same. So in a way, I just don't, I, I just don't know if I have a choice. Like, I'm just, I'm just doing what I feel like is the right thing to do. It's like, you know, if you're driving, you, you can do a lot of things, right? You can, you can go in many directions. But you kind of know which, which way you need to go. And you just go that way. And I just feel the same way. It's like, yeah, this is work that some days is hard. But I don't have, I don't have a choice. I just have to do the right
2: thing. Um, from my perspective, it's it's fairly similar. I don't have kids myself, so I can't I can't use that uh, necessarily as a reason that that I'm driven to make sure that the next generation has that. But I feel like I I just feel that generally it's similar to um, going on a small tangent here. I'm currently a board member of the Wisconsin Climbers Association, and I know that a lot of work done there to advocate for climbing access to areas that are closed might never benefit me, but it's that sense of community and, I think, just understanding of what it, what it means to other people that drives me there. And I think it's just a larger scale with renewables. Um, it, it's everybody. It's not just a, a specific community. Uh, so it feels, to me, easy to think you know, this work that we're doing to make this transition is going to benefit everyone around me. Um, how often do you get to say that about your job?
3: Not really often. Yeah, and the people, the people in this in this industry is just amazing. You know, we get a lot of people all ages, all you know, all backgrounds coming into the industry because they wanna, because they wanna do the right thing. That is very energizing.
1: I completely agree. I feel like just being surrounded by people who are wanting to work towards the same goals you are and wanting to better the collective human experience for years and years to come. Nothing, nothing is more energizing than that. Nothing like makes you want to get up and go to work more than. Than that definitely
3: being in good company
1: definitely nothing better
4: all right well many thanks to you alex and to you francisco for being on the sustain uw podcast we are so grateful for your insight and knowledge and another big thank you to our listeners for tuning in see you next episode
0: thanks to the director of sustainability at uw madison dr missy nurgaard and to the Director of Sustainability, Education, and Research, Professor Andrea Hicks. Thanks also to the Nelson Institute for Environmental Studies and the Facilities Planning and Management for supporting this podcast. The making of these episodes requires a lot of behind-the-scenes work from the entire intern podcast team, and we are so grateful for their efforts. Until next time, continue thinking about how to best sustain UW.